guys, welcome to the Twiniversity Podcast, a show created exclusively for parents of twins. I'm your host, Natalie Diaz. I am a mom of twins. I am also the Twiniversity founder, and I am the best-selling author of the book, What to Do When You're Having Two. Our goal at Twiniversity is to make sure that you always feel connected, we laugh at the little things, and we really do get to teach you a few tricks along the way. And that is what we hope this podcast is about to do. So welcome to Twiniversity. One of my least favorite things about being a parent of twins is dealing with two stuffy noses at the same time. If you have not yet experienced this, consider yourself lucky. But now that's why I'm so excited to share with you that there is a great product out there to help you clear out those four tiny nostrils when your twins are congested. Yes, each twin has two nostrils, just throwing that out there. Meet the Oogie Bear Better Booger Picker. Say it again with me, Oogie Bear Better Booger Picker. It safely and effectively removes stubborn, sticky mucus and dry boogers from those little noses with the Oogie Bear Booger Picker, which are great for cleaning little ears too. The patented bear head design ensures that the ends will not go too far into their tiny nose and the soft rubber scoop and loop are specifically created to be gentle enough for their tiny little noses. Also, you really should check out the Oogie Bear Nose Balm and the Oogie Bear Chest Rub. They're organic products to help clear infant airways and provide long-lasting moisture to their tiny irritated skin when they have it. The inventor of Oogie Bear, is a very dear friend. She's also a doctor of pharmacy. She's also a mom of three. But more importantly, she is such an amazing inventor. And this item that she created has revolutionized the way that people deal with sticky mucus. So I assure you, you are in the best of hands. So to learn more, visit oogiebear.com. That's O-O-G-I-E. B-E-A-R dot com. Rawr. Go clean out those tiny noses. An interesting podcast today. You already saw the title, so you know kind of what you're getting into. But today we're speaking to our Twiniversity friend, Melissa Flucher, who is a mommy of three. She has a son, Bo, and then had her teeny little girlies, um, her little twinnies, identical twinnies. And her son, Bo, was born early at 27 weeks, six days. And the girls were not much different, born at 24 weeks. So I'm going to tell you, if you are currently expecting and you, you know, I want to give you kind of like a trigger warning, but if you're going to listen, I want you to know, listen to the end. Okay, so if you're going to if you're going to start listening to this episode, you need to commit to it. All right. Could you commit? If you can't commit, I understand. And you could go to another episode. I'm not mad. We we have bazillions of episodes for you. So if you are expecting and you're getting stressed about it, then listen to another episode and maybe come back to Marissa at some point. However, if you maybe had micropremies and you want to connect and hear the the little bits of wisdom that Marissa has and the story that she's going to tell us, then definitely stay because she's an incredible, incredible woman and she's going to raise some incredible women. Her 20s are now eight months old and they're doing great. Uh, it's it's remarkable. It's remarkable. It's so remarkable at how 
resilient humans are, right? Because I could sit here too and say, oh my gosh, this woman had micropremies twice. My poor Marissa, what are we going to do? And she's like, yep, fact's a fact. Here's what it is. Here's the help that you need. Here's the questions that you might want to ask. Here's my story. And it's her story. And it's a beautiful story. And her children are beautiful children. And they've come into this world in a very, very unique way. And You know, I don't know if you believe in the whole saying of everything happens for a reason, but this is Marissa's story and this is her family's story. And if you want to listen to it, know that we're so lucky to have the strength of people like Marissa in this world. And now we have her three little humans who her singleton in her 20s, who are absolutely tiny little fighters and are are getting so great and so strong and are doing so good. So spoiler alert, everybody's great. So if you want to hear the story, just keep on listening because here comes Marissa. Everybody's got a story, right? As my grandmother would always say, like, you know, a penny for your thoughts or whatever. You have about, I don't know, $1,500 worth of pennies is all the thoughts that, that I have in regards to everything that you have been through. You know, it like at Twiniversity, we have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of micro preemies. And I don't want to say a lot, a lot and freak everybody out that's expecting. But how about we have enough that I don't get very like scared because we have such wonderful outcomes, even with our micro preemies. And so I really want to talk to you because you've not you've been around this block two times. You had a very early delivery with your older child and then. You rolled the dice again and you, you know, you got to deal with it again. So I'm curious to learn both about those stories and then how the, your older child, the the experience of your older child was a benefit to the twenties because, you know, everybody always says that the best people to have twins is somebody that has twins already. And so does this apply? Is it, you know, the the best person to be able to be equipped to handle micropremies as somebody who's dealt with it before? So tell us a little bit about your first pregnancy and your first delivery and how that evolved into an early delivery. Sure. So I had a perfectly normal first pregnancy. I was, you know, went to my appointments normally. Everything looked great. I was active. I worked out almost every day. I ran. I even asked my doctor multiple times, you know, is it okay? And they just said, listen to your body, maybe slow your pace, slow Mm -hmm. your mileage. Um, But everything was very normal until we went into labor at 27 weeks, six days. And I literally thought that I just had food poisoning and was on the phone with the on-call OB who thought the same thing. It never once crossed my mind it was labor. I hadn't had any of my classes that said this is what labor symptoms could be. Um, I just was totally blindsided. Even went to um, triage that night thinking I'm just here to be checked, to get the baby checked because I had been so sick. And while I was in triage, I remember looking around and seeing other women that were uncomfortable that were in labor and thinking, oh my God, Mm. like, there's no way that's what's happening to me, right? Hmm. And as soon as I went into the triage room with the nurse, my water broke. And, you know, right. then it's, they're checking me and I'm already dilated and there's no stopping it, but they're going to try to keep them in as long as they can. Um, 
for the steroids. Yeah. And it all happened pretty quickly. We got there at like 4 a.m. and I had them at 7-Eleven in the morning. So only a few hours. I didn't get any steroids. Um, everything was natural. There was time for meds. So it was very traumatic, like as a whole. Yeah. And, you know, the whole time I just kept thinking, I'm not going to meet this baby. Like he's not going to live. Like I kind of had already resigned to the fact that that's what was going to happen as soon as they said your dilating is coming. And I remember when the NICU nurses came to like be with me in the delivery room and wheel me up, they were so sweet. And they're, you know, asking, what are you having, boy or girl? Do you have a name? And I kept thinking, why are they asking me these questions? Like I'm losing this baby. But I had like a little bit of hope just because they were asking me these things. Um, and when he came, I remember I, I was watching, obviously, and he came out sunny side up so I could mm. see his mouth and it was moving. So, of course, I'm yelling like it's breathing, it's breathing. And, you know, of course, they whisk him over to resuscitate and take care of him. But I was shocked that, you know, here's this baby who I can see is moving his mouth and he is okay. Um, and it was all very shocking and very vivid, but also a blur at the same time. Um, you know, we had a very long NICU stay from there on out. We were educated and we had great nurses and doctors. We were at Prentice downtown Chicago. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it took us a while to kind of get used to the NICU routine. Obviously we'd never been there, but we learned a few weeks in that we should get a primary care nurse. So we asked for that. And once we had a primary care nurse, I felt like things were much better as far as me feeling more comfortable leaving Bo at the hospital mm -hmm. and being away from him. Um, it was a very long, over a hundred day journey. We were there 13 weeks. He got to come home a week after his due date. Um, and, you know, we thought, okay, this was traumatic, but here he is and he's our miracle. And my OB said, your next pregnancy will probably be completely normal because we still don't know what happened. Okay. I showed signs that I had an infection. He never showed signs that he did, thank God. Um, so they're, they're really not sure. They don't know if I was dehydrated from having food poisoning and that mm. caused labor or mm. if I was just in labor. Okay. Oh, so that's, that's, that's tough. It's so scary, especially your first time around and you never know what to expect. Yeah. And at 27 weeks, you're still, you know, you're not even in your home stretch. So like, did you have a baby shower by then or no. was you were just, this was totally out of nowhere. Yeah, we had the baby shower scheduled for like the middle of July mm -hmm. and we had bought a house. So we were literally planning to move middle of July, right after the baby shower into this new home so we could be settled. And instead, you know, we had to do all of those things after we came while he was still in the NICU. That's tough. And 100 days in the NICU, that is a long time. But I wanted, I wanted you to go back to this whole primary nurse situation because I you know you don't need to be there 100 days in order to ask for that tell us a little bit about how you found out that this was something you could ask for and what the hospital did to initiate it so that you had exactly what you needed sure so we made friends with the people that were in our little pod we had individual mm -hmm. rooms but of course you wash your hands you, you see the same parents who start yeah. speaking um so we met some parents that were from my husband's alma mater. They both went to Michigan State. So of course we made friends with them over that. And they were just asking about our journey and how things were going and suggested, they mentioned their primary and we're like, well, what's a primary? So they explained, you know, your primary care nurse, the person who's with the baby 
consistently because yeah. that was my biggest complaint working in healthcare is I wanted consistency. Yeah. And the doctors were rotating in and out every two weeks with it being a teaching hospital. So at the very least, knowing that we had a nurse that was consistent for both day and night shift yeah. and a few, obviously, because they're not there every day. Um, I was so glad they told me that. And it just was like a weight off my shoulders. Once we then had the discussion, um, we just spoke to the charge nurse and said like, hey, we heard this is a thing. We know we're in this for the long haul. So can you hook us up with some um, primary care nurses? And the first person we actually asked, um, just because she kind of bonded with me on an emotional level, she already had a primary and I met that same boy whose parents told us about a primary. Mm. So she was never actually our primary, but I mean, I hold her close to my heart like she was, but we had um, three, two, two daytime primaries and one nighttime primary while we were there. And what a relief that is to be able to know that there's such a continuity of care because that person is going to see, you know, your your baby day after day. And then also for you as a parent to have one place to check and say, how are things going? If you weren't able to get there to just call and be like, hey, Liz, you know, how did the morning go? So right. that that's such a relief. And that is something that is offered to most families in the NICU if you're going to spend more than a few days there. You know, they're not going to go crazy rearranging schedules, but anytime you have even 34 weekers, if it looks like you're going to be in there for a while, you could certainly ask. They might not always be able to accommodate, but that's like one of honestly, like Marissa, that's one of those things that people find out too late. So right. I'm glad that you found out that the, the first time around. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then Bo is getting bigger and getting stronger and getting awesome. And you're like, he can't be its only child. Right. <laughs> so we knew we, we always knew we wanted more than one and we're a little bit older. So we thought, okay, we'll have two kids. We'll be done. I knew I had to wait 18 months. My doctor had said, based on just what happened and your body mm -hmm. healing, wait 18 months. So we started trying a little before that, just okay. thinking it would take some time. And we got pregnant literally at 18 months. Um, we've moved oh. to the suburbs. So I have a new OB, but they know my entire history. Okay. Um, so I go in for my first visit and I don't even see the doctor yet. I've never been to this practice. I go right to the ultrasound room and I'm by myself because of COVID. And the tech puts the wand on and I'm watching on the screen. And at this point, I was only eight weeks, but I see two dots and I'm like, what's that in the background? And so she says to me, do twins run in your family? My heart just starts pounding and I'm like, they do. But I'm like, you know, I'm obviously surprised because my sister has twins. We have all these cousins. So I thought, even though I've always wanted them, I'm not going to have twins. And sure enough, there were two in there. And even though they were so early, they were still able to get two good heart rates from them, um, heartbeats from them. Um, so yeah, I, I found that out at, at eight weeks and then had to go sit in the waiting room to wait to see the doctor to talk about all this. And when we discussed it, she kind of said the same things, you know, yes, this is considered high risk because it's twin pregnancy and based on your history, but I'm sure things will be okay. We won't let you go more than 37 weeks, which in the mm -hmm. back of my mind, I'm like, I don't even know how I can make it that far. Like, I'll be happy if I make it past 32, mm -hmm. but okay. Um, we started, she had said we would, and, and we started projects her own shots at 16 weeks and she wanted me to see maternal fetal medicine. So okay. there was the excitement. And then when I got home that day, 
and I start kind of looking at different sonogram pictures because I'm like, well, what kind of twins am I having? Mm-hmm. And I could tell just from the picture, I'm like, these are going to be identical. And based on Dr. Google, that's very high risk. So then I just had to sit with this information for four weeks until I saw maternal fetal medicine and they could tell me for sure if there were two sacs, two placentas, mm-hmm. modi, et cetera. And so, of course, my anxiety and spiraling has already started, but I'm also trying to enjoy the fact that we're having two more babies instead yeah. of one more. Yes. And still de- and deal with Bo and everything yes. that's going on there. I mean, that's that's a whirlwind. Yes. Yeah, the whole new doctor, too, is a whole monkey wrench onto yeah. itself. Not ideal. No, it's not. But it's it's so unfortunately, Marissa, it's so common yeah. that even on this podcast, we hear people be like, I've never met this person before. So now, okay, you go for your, your first MFM appointment Mm -hmm. and what happened? Were you, did you have to go by yourself or were you able to go with somebody? I was allowed to take my husband to all those visits. Very good. Yeah. And so of course, you know, they do the ultrasound again. Um, I think we met the tech again first before we met the doctor, if I recall correctly. Okay. And she's more just checking, checking heart rates, measurements, Mm -hmm. things like that. And then he comes in and confirms that they're mono die. Um, so one placenta, two sacs, very mm-hmm. thin membrane in between, identical. Okay. Um, explained what I had already read myself, but basically the types of twins they were, the risk associated, explained, you know, twin to twin transfusion syndrome and everything possible scary that could go wrong, but just kept reassuring me that so far, you know, even though it was early, everything looked okay. And he would monitor me every two weeks. We would do the progesterone. And he even said, we're not going to let you go past 36 or 37 weeks. And mm-hmm. I kept thinking, man, like I've already been reading and that seems very optimistic, yes. but I still have in my mind, I want to make it to 32 weeks. Absolutely. I mean, but, but what did the MFM say about the, the first 27 weeks? Cause like the regular OB is going to be like, okay, we have no reason to anticipate anything differently, but we know that, you know, kind of a, a high risk doctor may say and feel a little bit differently. Did they have opposing views or was everybody on the same page? He basically said the same thing. You know, um, I will say my, my regular OB had said to me, are you working? And okay. I said, well, I do PRN. I just moved. And she's like, if you don't have to work, I wouldn't work. Okay. Um, I asked about exercise with her and she said, you can exercise, but I mean, I don't know why you would want to run. I'm like, well, cause I'm a runner, but okay. Um, and then when I saw Mr. Nolfina Medicine, he agreed. Mm-hmm. He didn't know why Bo came early. Okay. But he said, when I said she mentioned I shouldn't work, he's like, eh, I mean, you could work, but I'd probably make you stop at week 20. Okay. So I'm like, all right. Very okay. amused on that. Um, I asked about exercise and he's like, you can exercise, slow your pace, slow your distance. Don't okay. go running, you know, a half marathon, but you can run, yeah. listen to your body. So I was actually very pleased and kind of surprised that he was very comfortable with me still doing most of the things that I had done. Mm-hmm. Um, and he consistently said that all the way up until my last visit with him at 22 weeks. Hmm. Okay. So with that, who was the one that was prescribing the progesterone? Was it the MFM or was it still the OB or did it transfer once you went to the MFM? My primary OB is the one who prescribed that. Okay. And so for those of you that don't know, and also just to confirm for me, that is specifically prescribed to people so that you have 
no uterine contractions, correct? It has to do with contractions. Okay. Yeah. And so, I started it, it was injections. I know some people do like, um, like a pill form Yes, or like a vaginal Yes. There's like a cream or some kind of gel or something like that. Yes. So you were specifically given the injections and you were told to stay on that through your whole pregnancy or did they say it was going to be first or second trimester? Like, did they give you- No, it was 16 weeks on all the way to the end. Okay. Once a week. So 16 weeks on, you start taking these shots, you're going to your MFM every two weeks. Do, were you, did you go back to running? Did you say, okay, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Is there anything that, you know, that you were like, I have to get back to normal ish and not be so, so scared. I did run some, okay. but I really like went. I was slowed on my pace. You know, if I was running and I felt uncomfortable, I would walk instead. And I stopped running around 18 or 20 weeks just because I went out one day and it was just not comfortable. So I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Perfect. So I you. was working out, but I was doing very light, like bar workouts would be okay. very, and it was all prenatal. I, you know, I wanted to make sure I was doing as safe as I could since there were two in there and mm-hmm. just given my history. Yeah. But for mental sanity too. I mean, if you're somebody yeah. who's always moved and now we're telling you to stop moving, it's, it's yeah. kind of torture So, yes. you know, and there's no reason to think anything else. And honestly, even in hindsight, I don't think anything caused early delivery kind of just is the the dice roll that we get. So when did you start realizing that there were some flashing lights that something was going on? Right. So we had our um, echocardiogram for the twins at 22 weeks and two days. My husband went with me. Everything looked great. And my new their anatomy scan at 20 weeks was perfect too. Okay. But so we go for this um, echocardiogram scan for both girls. Everything looks great. As always, I ask, does my activity need to change? Nope, mm-hmm. keep doing what you're doing. You can work out. It's fine. Um, he knew I had a toddler at home that I had to lift. There mm-hmm. were no lifting restrictions. Um, I came home that day, felt completely normal. And I went into the bathroom. And sorry, this is a little graphic, but out comes my mucus plug. Yeah. And I took a picture because I learned from last Good. time. I lost what I now know was my mucus plug before Bo. And asked my doctor about it. And she said, it's too early. That's not what it is. Well, he came like 10 days later. Mm-hmm. So when this happened, I mean, my mom instinct kicked in. And I'm like, something's not right. So I took yeah. the picture, Good. sent it to both my primary and maternal fetal medicine. Um, maternal fetal medicine called back and said, you need to address this with your primary. And when I finally spoke to that nurse, yes. they said, um, just monitor if you're feeling okay, you don't need to come in or anything, but if you start to have any discomfort, go ahead and come in. Good. So I tried to take it easy the rest of the day. We got our son to bed. We had our hospital virtual tour that night. And while we were sitting there on the hospital tour, I started to feel discomfort. And so I paged my OB and she says to me, I can't believe they didn't tell you to come in. You need to come in right now to labor delivery. So we have to make a plan for our son and have a friend come over. Thank God she lives close by and could do that. Okay. We for two kids to come here. And we go into labor and delivery. And, you know, I'm not so uncomfortable that I'm like, these babies are coming right now. But I was, of course, very concerned that we were even heading in that direction. Of course. And I know this is my mucus plug that I lost. And my husband dropped me off so we could go park the car and I go in 
and the monitors are beeping behind the nurse's station. And as soon as I heard that beeping, it was like nausea, a pit in my stomach, like all of those emotions from Bo being in the NICU rushed right back. And when my husband then walked in, he said the same thing. Like yeah. it was just like that immediate yeah. anxiety. Yes, it's it's um, definitely it's definitely PTSD, honestly, yeah. especially for a hundred days in the NICU. Did you right. have honestly, Marissa? Like after you were discharged and went home, did you have any emotional support, supportive care from the hospital or from the OB or anything? Um, during his NICU stay, they did. They had me see somebody. We discussed getting on medication, okay. but I didn't want to because I was pumpy. And yep. I was like hesitant to do it. Now, story of our life, Marissa. Yeah, yeah. But this night was kind of like a trigger for me. Like, how did I not address this? I had a therapist I had seen for years. I mm -hmm. never once talked to him after my son was born. He didn't even know I'd had a baby. Mm -hmm. I had never been on any kind of medication. Um, so it did, it was a catalyst for me to kind of get those things I needed okay. after my response to those alarms. Yes. Um, this particular night when I went in, I was having contractions. They never confirmed if it was Braxton Hicks or not, but okay. they measured my cervix and my cervix was fine. It was nice and long. Okay. It was like three or four centimeters. They weren't concerned. Um, I think they gave me a shot that night and then sent me home. Did um, they do an, they did, did they do an internal exam? No, external. They didn't want to put anything else in there. Okay. To like disrupt. Yes. So and you, all... you, you never even thought to, to ask for it. Cause you're like, we're doing right. exactly what they're telling us to do. Okay. Right. Right. Um, so I will say that the labor and delivery nurses were great though. They were like, you come in here anytime you need, mm -hmm. you know, call if you have questions that made me feel better about going. Good. So that was on a Monday. And then, oh, and when I left, they said, you're now on not complete bed rest, but modified bed rest. Okay. And. So I, of course, I have questions. I'm like, I have a son. He's two and a half. He only weighs 24 pounds. But what does this mean? So they basically sat and then my primary OB confirmed the next day and the turtle fetal medicine confirmed. I can do the bare minimum of what I have to do to be a mom, basically, and try to avoid stairs. But I live in a two-level home and have a finished basement. So I tried to stay on the couch as much as possible and yeah. come down in the morning and only go up at night as much as I could. Okay. Um. So then fast forward 10 days, the following Thursday. So at this point, I'm 23 and five. And I start to feel uncomfortable again. And just, you know, it was contractions again, but not so severe like labor contractions. Yeah. So we call another set of friends, take our son over there. It's in the evening. And we go in again. And I'm still having contractions. They do confirm that. Um, they were a little worse this time. They give me medication. They stop. So they send me home. And they mm -hmm. also did an exam that night. And she did do um, a transvaginal ultrasound because she couldn't get a good picture because of how the babies were. And the cervix looked fine. Okay. Okay. So this was a Thursday night. I, in speaking with the nurse, she said that the doctor mentioned perhaps getting on an oral medication to help kind of subside these contractions but they didn't give it to me there. So then I had to do the footwork the next day to try to get this medication. Finally get it called in and I can't remember what it was. It's something that can be used for um, high blood pressure as well. Okay. 
And I started the next day and I'm immediately so sick, like borderline about to throw up, terrible headache. So I called the on-call doc and she's like, just stop the medicine. We don't even know if it's going to help anyway. It was kind of just like, let's see if this works for you. So just stop it. Okay. So I go off of it. The next day is 24 weeks on the dot. And mind you, this whole week, I'm like, just let me get to viability week. Let me get to 24 weeks. So my mom and niece happened to be in town visiting, thank God. And um, I wasn't feeling the best, but I thought it was still from the day before in the medicine mm -hmm. because okay. I was so kind of nauseous, the headache. Um, we actually even went to our community pool that day because it was so hot out and I wanted my son to play. So I literally just sat on the steps of the pool so he could get in the water and play. Came home, had dinner, and I was hanging out in my bed upstairs. And I'm like, something's not right. And so I started timing. And sure enough, they were all, the contractions were getting closer and closer. And I'm upstairs in bed for the night at 6 p.m. And I'm texting my mom. I've got to pack a bag. I got to go. Like, this is happening. Mm -hmm. And then she's telling my husband so we can make arrangements. We had in. We don't even call ROB this time. I'm just like, this is happening. And it was the longest. It's a, it's a very short drive to our hospital, but it was the longest drive. So uncomfortable because as soon as we got in that car, I'm like, this is the same thing I felt with Bo. And these babies yeah. are coming. Yeah. And um, so we get there. And again, with the, the monitors and, and that PTSD and they. Did you get to go right to labor and delivery or did you have to go in through the ER? No, I, every time we went, thank God, at this hospital, there's an okay. elevator that goes straight to labor okay, and delivery. And they tell you, like, go to the gold elevator. So we got to go straight there. Um, I was a little irritated because at one point they're like, are you having contractions? And I'm like, yeah. And they're three minutes apart right now. And, I, you know, I'm giving my pain level. I'm like, I've been having contractions for the last hour and they keep getting closer and closer. And sure enough, when the doctor comes in and checks, I'm already dilated. And so it's just at this point, it's like chaos. Everyone's in the room. They're bringing in the neonatologist who informs us that there's a 50% chance of survival. Mm -hmm. um, same as both. They're coming, but we're going to try to keep them in as long as we can. They're pumping me full of medicine. I have a mask on and I'm like, I need to vomit. Like, can I take this off? Like, yeah. it's just such a cluster, um, you know, so I'm, I've got the pan to get sick. And all of a sudden I could tell that they kept trying to move the monitors around in my belly. And the OB's like, we got to take her now. Yeah. So they rushed me out. I don't even think I said goodbye to my husband. Um, go into the delivery room or the OR. And then I hear her say, okay, we might be able to wait. Like they must've gotten her heart rate normalized again. And then she's like, nope, we got to do it now. So I'm trying to ask how the babies are. Of course, they're not listening to me. They're talking about the babies. Thank God the anesthesiologist that was with me was so nice. And Beautiful. then, of course, I don't remember anything um, until waking up in the um, recovery room. And I could hear my husband talking to the nurse. And I have no idea what's happened. I don't know if I have two babies that are alive. I don't know if I've lost one or both. And I can't speak. All I can do is hear them. And as soon as I was able to be strong enough to say something, you know, I'm, how are the babies? Do, are they okay? And they, they were in the NICU and, and they were okay. And 
she even said, we're going to take you by there as soon as things are okay here. We'll take you over to the NICU to meet your babies. Um, the OB came in and just kind of explained what all had happened. Mm -hmm. um, the neonatologist came in and said the same thing, 50 to 60% chance of survival. But right now, you know, we've resuscitated them. They're in the NICU. You can see them. Um, so we, they wheeled me on my gurney to go in there and see them and okay. push me right next to their bed so I could take a look at them. It was like two in the morning and the nurses were so sweet that were there, you know, and this is a new hospital too. So I was yeah. a little apprehensive. Like, I how know. I, I, it's, I can't even imagine you've just been there. You were so at home at your right. other location and now it's familiar, but different. Right. Yep. And we hadn't even had a hospital tour. So I, did, I didn't know anything about the NICU other than that it was a level three. Um, so, you know, we got to briefly say hi and, and then went on to the recovery back into my own room. So did you, did you have to go back to the ICU, like the, to the recovery for you, or did you go into a regular room? I was on the regular labor and delivery floor. All right. So now you're, you're back on the regular labor and delivery floor. The babies are in the NICU. How often were you getting updates and were they coming to you with updates or did you have to constantly go downstairs or call? I had to either go there or call. And I don't know if they did this on purpose, but my room was super close. So if, you know, okay, there were multiple good. wings, it was maybe like a hundred yard walk to get oh, over great. there. Okay. And they left a wheelchair right outside of my room so that anytime I wanted to go, I could. Um, and of course, at the beginning, I had to be pushed or I couldn't go at first because mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to get up. But once I was able to get up and walk around, I did. I just would push the wheelchair or have my husband push me so I could go down there. Okay. So now the first time around, there was maybe a, a big question mark over a virus. And right. would that have been something? Did you have any question marks the second with the 20s? No. And, and of course, they tested my placenta. Everything yeah. completely normal. Really, really, really interesting. Okay, so now we have 24 weekers. They're in the NICU. They're getting the care that they need. You're recovering. You still are like, you don't even know what, who's what, where, and why. Did you initially go in and say, I really would like my primary nurse? Did you say, did there, was there a trigger in your mind that was like, I'm going into action. We're at battle. Here's what has to happen. Yeah. So. I don't know that I asked like the first day, but I was able to stay an extra day because of my C-section. And because of the time of day, I asked if I could stay an extra day. My son was with my mom. So it's not like I was coming home to him yeah. and I didn't want to leave the girls. Yeah. So I stayed an extra day. And on my very last day there, um, we had gone into the room to see him. I'm already a hot mess because I'm leaving that day. And the nurses had told us early on, and I knew the routine. You can't just reach in there and touch them unless they tell you it's okay. So I said, am I allowed to touch them? They're even earlier than Bo was. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. And so on this, I knew it was okay. And on this particular day, we're leaving. And I go in and I leave my hands and I open just to gently put my finger on top of my daughter Finley's hand. And this nurse comes in, total attitude. What are you doing? Are you supposed to be touching her? And I was so thrown off just by the whole encounter, but by her making me feel like I was going to hurt my baby by mm -hmm. having my clean hand in there touching her, which she grasped right onto it. She needed that. And 
after that moment, I was like, I need to talk to somebody. So I spoke with the charge nurse. I explained what had happened and how unhappy I was and that we wanted primaries, that we knew primaries existed from our son and that we wanted primaries for, you know, both girls, even if they had to be different. And thank goodness, right away, we had them. Okay. All right. So now your girlies are there. They're so early. Before you were discharged and sent home to go back home with Bo and your family, did the NICU team come in and say, okay, here's going to be our plan? Because they, they, they're earlier now than Bo. So there's, you know, it's so interesting that every week is like a lifetime in the mm-hmm. NICU, right? So, you know, that, that people would say, well, you know what, honestly, Marissa, you already had 27, you know, a 27 week old son. What's the difference of 24 weeks, 27? But it really does make a difference because right. there's all these organs that are growing internally from, you know, from 24 to 27, did they say, okay, here's going to be the milestones that we need the girls to reach? Yes. So we knew early on, sorry, we knew early on. Um, and this was the other thing too. They were like, if we can make it for the first two weeks, if you can get two weeks in, we're going to feel really good about this, which is obviously the scary to hear, Mm -hmm. you know, here we have these girls that have made it, but you still have a chance that they might not make it. So the first was, let's just make it two weeks. Um, Then they had said, let's make it until like 32 weeks of of age. So they did along the way tell us that, um, but we had all these hurdles while we were in the NICU too. And they were really good about every week. So, you know, week 25, we got a little letter on their bulletin board and it would explain like, this is what's happening. This is what would be happening in the womb. And this is what is happening now in, in development. Mm-hmm. Um, and what to expect and, and what your baby needs from you and what's safe to do. Now, what about breastfeeding? What were you so, doing and what did you do with Bo? And was that, you know, even on the agenda? Because I know typically with NICU babies, they kind of really push it as much as they can for you to, right. to try to breastfeed. What, what happened the first time versus the second time? What's, what was the breastfeeding scenario? Sure. So I exclusively pumped with Bo. And I knew kind of going into it with the girls that it probably wouldn't be likely that I would be able to, if we had an acute stay exclusively breastfeed, I just knew that I knew from Bo's experience that it probably wouldn't be possible. And I also knew that with Bo, he was such a hard baby to feed that I would literally spend sometimes an hour trying to get him to eat. And then I couldn't cuddle him because I had to pump. So I didn't want that kind of anxiety. So I knew going into it, I am going to pump and we'll see how it goes. But once they come home, I'm probably going to stop and just use the breast milk I've pumped and then switch to formula as needed, which is basically what they had all breast milk in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but they were getting such bad reflux that the girls had to switch to formula. And the day the doctor had the conversation with me, I think she was worried. I would say no, but I, I just told her, I was like, look, if you're trying to tell me I can stop pumping, that's a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. So that, okay, I'm not a mom who has to have my baby have the breast milk and they've made it this far. And that was probably at like 36 weeks. Wow. So you were pumping at home, you're bringing it in with you. Were you able to go daily to see the girls? So I was, but we had, so they were born in the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. About two or three weeks in, our son got RSV. So we weren't allowed to go for 16 days, which was, horrible. And thank 
goodness, we had nurses that would communicate with us. We could FaceTime. They would text me. I, you know, obviously called all the time to ask questions, but I mean, that was torturous. My babies are right there. Yeah. During this time, um, Tess got a blood infection. Okay. Which looking back, I don't, they didn't tell us how serious it was, but it was pretty serious. I mean, it's a, it's a life-threatening thing to have. So she was on like four weeks of antibiotics. And that started while we were home. We couldn't see her. Um, then later in the summer, uh, my son had a COVID exposure. So anytime he got fasted, then we couldn't go. So there were a few days here and there that we couldn't see them. But yeah, otherwise we were there every single day. Um, I don't even know if I mentioned this whenever I sent in all my information, but my husband also broke his foot a mm-hmm. weekend to this. Um, so the girls were a week old. He fell and broke his foot. And the very next day was the day we almost lost Finley. So it's like all these things just kept happening that even the nurses and the doctors were like, just when you think what else could happen, like we're not even going to say that about the future family because something else could happen. This this was our entire NICU journey. Oh my goodness. Okay. So when did you finally get to hold them? At what week? Did you get to go in, you know, between RSV, COVID, bro- broken toes? Like, what day do you remember that you sat in that rocking chair or chair in the NICU and you got to hold those puppies? Right. So Tess was about two weeks old when I got to hold her. I couldn't hold Finley yet because when we almost lost her, they put her on a machine called the oscillator and she couldn't be moved to me while on that machine. Okay. So she, we had to wait till she was off the oscillator and she was on it for a couple of weeks. Um, so once she was off the oscillator, then I was able to hold Fenley. But, oh my gosh, like just being able to hold Tess, you know, of course I feel guilty because I'm not holding Fenley. Of course, of but course. just the fact that I'm holding her and, and she's here and she's made it, you know, it was yeah. the best feeling. The girls were, I'm trying to think two or three, they were three months old when I held them for the first time together. Wow. Yeah. Ugh, that's, that's, were you, was it a relief? Was it stressful? Because that, that could be very stressful to hold, you know, mm-hmm. a baby that that's, you know, you, you see them so fragile, especially I'm thinking about that first time that you were wheeled out on like the gurney, you know, their skin is a, is a different color and you could right. see everything that's happening. I mean, a premature baby looks very different than what you see like in a Hallmark movie. Right. So when you got to hold them, how had they kind of progressed? Did you feel better about it? Were they more pink? Did you, how, how, how was it when you held them? So Tess was tiny when we held her um, okay. at that point, like you said, where you could still see through their skin and mm-hmm. see their veins and their artery. Um, it wasn't as scary though, just because I had held Bo when he was so small. Yeah. So I wasn't as freaked out by it. Um, I think it helped the entire NICU journey with Bo helped all of this for the girls, but it wasn't as scary. Holding Finley was a little scarier just because of everything she had gone through. Yeah. Um, and then obviously holding them both at the same time was hard because yeah. you're not used to juggling two babies, even if you've been somebody who's had a lot of babies around you and two critical and babies that are hooked up to tubes and everything. Mm-hmm. So that was hard, but it was also, it was just awesome to be able to hold them both at the same time. And especially if they were like touching one another and, and yeah. noticing one another. Now, all of this is happening. How was your family supporting you? 
like what were what were the supporting players of your life story? What right. were they doing? So we, because of my husband breaking his foot, we basically had to have people live with us for eight weeks. Um, so they would take shifts and, you know, my mom would come and stay for a couple of weeks. Sometimes she took a boat back with her. I had aunts that came. Um, all of my family is like three hours away. Okay. Nick's family's five hours away. So we had people coming in to stay with us. We had friends that would come stay. And, you know, we would say, you don't even need to do anything, but if we have to have you lift Bo to put him in bed. Um, so thank God we had that. And then mm -hmm. I had met a group of mom friends, like pretty much as soon as I knew I was pregnant, I joined this group on Facebook and then we joined a smaller chat. And so there are 21 women that I spoke to every single day, my entire pregnancy and even up till now. And they were the first group of people besides like my immediate family that knew that this had happened. They actually knew each time I went into labor and delivery, mm. they just didn't know this night because I knew it was happening and I wasn't focused on texting people. But I mean, they were a huge part checking in on me. Um, they were so generous, you know, sent us gift cards to help with all of the expenses of, you know, not being able to make meals and traveling back and forth between two hospitals because we ended up at a second hospital. And so, you know, just having family and friends there was a huge piece of this journey and of my sanity and, and knowing that I could get through it. You do. You have to have, you know, a great support staff. And I, it's so critical and it's so funny, Marissa, because you're saying that these are your people from online. So had you ever even met any of them in person? No, still haven't yep. met them. They're yep. all over the country. We have a, a trip planned in July, but I haven't even met them in person and they are my closest girlfriends. Yep. I, I hear you. Honestly, this is something that happens a lot in university that people will meet and you you don't know where where your best support is going to come from. And sometimes it comes from the least likely places. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, sometimes it's great to speak to people that have no skin in the game. I always say this. It's nice to have kind of virtual friends that aren't there that, you know, you don't have to feel like I don't want to sit with them right now. It's like it's such a it's such an easy relationship because it gets to be on your terms and they get to be nothing but supportive and encouraging. Oh, I'm so right. glad for that. Yeah, I think that like my mom's generation can't possibly comprehend the in the importance of, you know, virtual people. It's it's so crazy, but regardless of where it comes from, I'm so happy that you had that. So 124 days. Right? 124, 124 days. You well the 124 somebody comes home. Yes. Yeah. So how did they determine that? Did you know ahead of time that somebody was going to come home before the other or were they always trying to release them at the same time? No, they told us early on, like most likely they won't come home together. Um, they had even told us pretty early on, like when they come home, they might have oxygen. They might mm -hmm. be on feeding tubes or have an NG tube. Mm -hmm. So we kind of knew all of this in advance. Um, so it wasn't too disappointing to hear, you know, that Tess was coming home first. Yeah. It was actually pretty quick that, and, and I knew this from my son that sometimes it's just like that day you find out they're coming. Yeah. Um, but we found out my husband was actually out of town for work and we found out that um, she was going to be coming home. And so I had to get my mom here to help Bo and, and both of us that way we could be there that day to bring her home. And then, so Tess came home first. Is that she came you? home first. So yep. Tess, who, who we worried about more. In the beginning of his family, yes. it was more critical. And then oh. Tess got our. And the, Tess, because she okay. had 
blood infection and she had that was what it was. other hospitals for hydrocephaly and three different shunt surgeries. And she started eating, bottle feeding later than Finley. So we okay. thought for sure she's going to be in the hospital yes. a month or so longer. Nope. As soon as she could get on that bottle, she was like, I'm coming home. And she came home first. Wow. Yes. So she's home. You have her for a few days. You're kind of getting your your new sea legs on this whole thing. And then they're like, oh, you got to come get Finley. Yes. <laughs> we're and then there's another her. one that was very like, okay, she's coming. And it was a Sunday. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. So when you got everybody home, who was there with you? My mom was here to help um, for about two weeks and um, took my son with her again back to the farm so he could have his time with them. But I didn't want him to be gone when we got home. I wanted him yeah. to be here so we didn't feel like we were shipping him off. But yes, she was here then and she has been here so much to help me. Anytime, you know, my husband goes out of town or we have a yeah. lot of appointments, she's the person who's here helping me. Oh my gosh. All right. So now good news. Fast forward eight months. Yes. Here we are. Yes. And what is, what's happening? Like, are we having, you know, is there therapies daily or how's their vision? How's their breathing? How are these little ladies rocking it? So they're doing great. They came home. I was very adamant. They're not coming home on oxygen. They're not coming home with feeding tubes and they didn't come home with either. Um, they have, their ROP has resolved. So they don't have any problems with their vision. They go back in a couple months just to be checked to see if they need glasses, but okay. at least the retinopathy of prematurity is, is improved. Um, they both had been doing weekly therapies and then we finally got our early intervention evaluations. Finley is doing a little better um, developmentally. So she only has to have PT once a month and uh, no other therapy. She has speech as well, but no other therapy services, um, which Bo didn't need anything. I mean, he did great there four weeks earlier. So we thought yeah. for sure they would. Sure. Tess is having a little harder time. She has weekly OT, PT, and speech. Um, in the beginning, I was very uh, frustrated and, and sad just because they ranked her pretty low developmentally mm -hmm. at her. They, so they were doing the evaluation based on their adjusted age of three months. And they said she was functioning at like a one month old, mm -hmm. which obviously is a little frustrating to hear. Um, but within two weeks, she was already doing so much better. So she's just, you know, Finley catches the goal and then a week or two later, Tess catches the goal, Yeah. but they're both doing so much better. Um, their increased time in the NICU has caused them both to need a helmet okay. and poor Tess because of her shunt on the right side, she got a left-sided preference. Basically the day she got the surgery, she started always laying on the left. So we do a lot of stretching to get her to look to the right and they're both doing so much better. Helmets will be coming soon in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, regular, they're doing, regular stuff. Yes, they're doing very well. Finley had a pneumatocele, which is like a cyst in her right upper lobe. That was so big and not shrinking. They thought we were going to have to have surgery possibly. Mm -hmm. Met with a surgeon and we just found out last week that it's two thirds smaller. So thank God it's finally shrinking and she's getting off of most of her meds for her lungs. Um, mm -hmm. She's the only one that still sees pulmonology, but she's doing a lot better. Um, and then Tess had another surgery last week. She had to get her PDA closed. Finley's okay. was closed in the NICU. Tess, as we thought, was fine. We were told at the beginning of December, looks good, come back in a year. And then literally the week of Christmas got a call and said, nope, it has to be closed. 
tell us what a PDA is, please? So the PDA is a hole and the valve that connects the pulmonary artery to the aorta. So basically, because of her lung issues, it's pushing blood back into the heart and her left ventricle was getting, the lower chamber or left side of her heart was getting inflamed and you don't want to have an enlarged heart. So they wanted to close it. Most babies that are premature have this, but they close on their own. Our son had it, it closed on its own. Um, Finley's had to be closed because she kept getting pulmonary hemorrhages. Mm -hmm. So bleeding in the lungs, it would come out her vat tube. They closed hers about six weeks of age. Um, But Tess's, it was getting better like they thought it would. And then all of a sudden, like we got to close it. So you're sitting here and you're like, there was blood. It was coming out of the vet. It was like, whatever, like whatever, Marissa, this like regular day, you know, in our house, in our future house is what we do. How have you, how do you deal with this? Like, how do you, like all these, these, these fastballs are just coming at you. Right. And you're like, nope, nope, nope. How, how have you dealt with this? And is it, was it kind of the experience with Bo that that made you the pro that you are? Or are you just like, you know what? I saw that greatness happens. It's right. literally right there. And we just got to get through this. How do you deal with this on a regular basis? So I think it's the combination of knowing what we've gone through with Bo, so knowing just the terminology with him and, you know, having my freak out whenever I find out he has a hole. Mm-hmm. And then next time knowing, okay, it's not as bad. It can close on its own. I mean, there were very scary moments throughout this journey. I, I think I kind of mentioned it earlier. I actually got on Zoloft as soon as the girls were born because I'm Perfect. like, I don't know how I'm going to function Perfect. with two critical babies in the NICU. So I think that that's helped a lot. Um, obviously, my, my friends and family. And then we have a page that we made. We're kind of private on Facebook. So we made a page just about the kids and their health journeys. Okay. So every single day, I update it. And through this page, we have people that we have never even met that are like my college friends prayer group. And she's like, they want to pray for you. Can they join this page? And the power of prayer of anytime we had a surgery, I would just post like all of the details and specific prayers. Like, please pray, you know, that the PDA can be closed and that she won't have any more problems with her heart or her lungs and no more pulmonary hemorrhages. And, you know, there was a chapel at the hospital that I would just sit in during surgeries. So my faith has played a huge role in this. And just knowing Bo was a miracle and he made it. And these two are going to be miracles as well. It's 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 unbelievable. You're so impressive. And just yeah. listening to your story, I hope you realize that. Like I know on paper you could look at it and be like, damn, like I am a rock star. But I I hope that you really feel it. Like, I feel, I hope that you really do realize it, that this is unbelievable. And people are going to listen to this and say, oh my gosh, like, how does she do it? And I'm telling you, I'm looking at you. I love your wallpaper. You're like, this is like a regular, it's a regular conversation because when no one ever thinks that they could handle anything until you actually have to handle what it is. So none of us feel capable. Everybody's going to feel scared no matter how many times you've been walking down that same hallway. It, it doesn't get, it might get a little bit more familiar, but it doesn't necessarily get easier. But right. what does is that you know that you come out the other side of that. And so right. now, you know, what, what happens now? Like, are the girlies going to need more surgeries? You know, when, how long do they estimate that they're going to need their helmets for? Which, by the way, happens to, to term babies too. Right. 
Yeah. And hearing helmets are way more common yeah, than very. I thought. Um, I'm not sure because we're still waiting to get the actual measurements. We had the first scan that just confirmed, yes, they need it. Okay. So I don't know how long they'll be in them. And, you know, whatever we need to make it so that they have room for their little brains to grow yeah. is completely fine. I mean, they have a lot of battle wounds. So wearing a helmet's not a big deal. Um, hopefully we won't have to have any more surgeries with um, Tess's shunt. She has a VP shunt. So she's got mm -hmm. all that tubing in her belly mm -hmm. and shunts can now function pretty easily. Um, so I literally just pray every single day that her shunt will be fine that we won't have any issues. Um, we do have to travel with her most recent head CT, which is kind of a scary thought, like, okay, but it's a precaution. If something would happen and we're three hours away on the farm, I've got her scan so I can show it to the hospital and they can make sure everything looks normal as far as the hydrocephaly goes. Yeah. Um, so she may have to have a surgery in the future for her shunt, but hopefully not. Um, Finley, if this cyst keeps shrieking, she won't need one at all. Um, the therapies I anticipate happening until I think they're allowed to be in therapies until they're two or three. So I imagine they'll probably be yeah. in therapy that amount of time, which is fine with me. I mean, they're they're doing well with it. It's one less thing that I have to add to my schedule for the day to have to do these things with them when the therapist comes here. So. Mm -hmm. I'm okay if they need to be in therapy for a few yeah. years. And it could even be longer than that. My kids were in for longer than that. So yeah. it doesn't, and it's, it's, that's not a preemie thing. It's just a kid thing. It's whatever, right. if your kid needs that, that's what it is. And it's, it's unbelievable, unbelievable, right? At 24 weeks, which is like literally our first hurdle of, of medical viability. And your girl's like, nah, I don't feel like waiting anymore. Right. It's too, it's too dark in here. Right. <laughs> We're, we don't like this. Thank they you so much. Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm so absolutely impressed and I'm, I'm so excited that you came here and just to, to talk to us. And I know it's going to be so inspiring because people get so scared. And it's nice to talk to people that have been through the fire. You've walked over the coals and you're like, you know what? Here we are. That's it. And they're still going to pull each other's hair and they're going to bite each other and they're going to smack a toy into the other one's eye. It's just going to be the way that it that it goes. It's it's unbelievable, Marissa. I'm so excited for you to, for all the goodness that's to come. Thank because you. Because I, you know, I'm I'm a very karmically person. I feel like it all balances out. And so for all the hardness that they've had in the beginning, they're going to have such a cushy, easy life and marry millionaires and just have okay. to choose which helicopter they're going to take to Bergdorf their day. So it's going to be a tough choice, but there's going to be decisions that have to be made. So that's, that's all that we could, could look for. But like with that and, and looking forward, do you sometimes ever get like bouts of anxiety where you find that you're not looking forward, you're kind of standing still or looking back? And if that happens, how do, how do you push forward? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely times where I kind of fall back into thinking about some of the bad things that we've gone through with them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the beginning, I was so worried when they came home, especially with tests and our hydrocephaly. And what does this mean for us? You know, and I had the tough conversations with the neurosurgeon. Like, I want you to tell me if you think yeah. she's going to have cerebral palsy, if you think she's going to have developmental place, just tell me up front. And they don't know. They're like, yeah. we won't know until she's two or maybe a little sooner walking. Like, what's going to happen? And I used to just stress about that, you know, on the regular. And I'm, I just try to really focus on it doesn't matter. Even yeah. if she has these things, she's still my daughter. I still love her. 
yeah, her life might be a little more difficult, but we're going to get through it. And I want to focus on the here and now and enjoy, you know, every single day and every moment while I can soaking it all in and not worry about the unknown. Oh, I'm so stoked. I'm excited for a good season of having them outside in the sun because clearly that's what they wanted. So it's it's happening and you're doing it. And I'm, I really just thank you so much. Now, if our families would like to um, follow your journey, sure. would it be okay if we put it in the show notes? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So we'll we'll have that below. And then for anybody that's listening, if you don't see it or it's not there or something happened and you're you're hearing this someplace else, you could always just email us at community at twiniversity.com and we could get you the information. But everybody always should like always try, especially during pregnancy, and you should never anticipate anything going wrong. And if you're currently pregnant and listening to this, please do not think that your story is going to be Marissa's. Don't think your story is going to be mine. Don't think your story is going to be Ashley's or whoever you just listened to. Nobody has the same story. So we may have commonalities. And we know that with our commonality, it's always going to be that there's going to be two babies that are going to shoot out at the end. Like that's the, <laughs> the surprise, the, the twist. But nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And you can never anticipate anything. And even if your babies are born early and they go into the NICU, you're not guaranteed 127 days. It could be five. It could be 200. It could be 11. No one knows anything. And whether you're term, whether you're early, it is not up to us. It's not up to us. And it's very difficult to sometimes accept that you have no control over that. That's not something that you have control over. The thing you have control over is the way that you react to what's happening that you will always have control over. So Marissa, honestly, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very, very, very thankful. And I'm very excited to see your herd of babies your little micro preemies running around driving you crazy. And I can't wait till you are saying SOS to your <laughs> online girls and being like, I can't take them. And they're going to be like, you. think of all the work that you had to do to get here. But thank you so right. much, Marissa. Okay, Marissa, stay right there. And for the rest of you, go back to doing whatever you're doing. I mean, honestly, we can't sit here and entertain you all day. We have life to go to, unfortunately. So you guys that are listening, thank you so much as always. I'm very, very appreciative to our listeners too. And if you need anything, I really do mean it, whether it's you need Marissa's information or anything else from Twiniversity, we're just here at Twiniversity, community at Twiniversity.com. Or you could send us a direct message on any so social platform, pretty much at all. We're just Twiniversity there. And honestly, if there's a way that we could help you, if you don't know the questions to ask, if you're nervous about what's going to happen, we really do have a significant amount of resources on Twiniversity.com, including an entire section on NICU resources, because I, like Marissa, I'm a NICU mom too. So there, I have my measly 31-day badge, you know, compared to, to Marissa's, but we learn things, and instead of you learning them the hard way, just learn them from us because why? Why why are we reinventing the wheel every time something happens? That's what Twin Adversity is here for. So if you need anything, know that we're here. Like and subscribe, blah, 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 all that jazz. And until next time, guys, see you later, alligators. Thanks for listening.